Psalm chapter 145 and verse 9. We want to speak to you on the subject today, the goodness of God in creation. The goodness of God. And be dealing with it primarily in the aspect of his creation. This will be the 37th message in the series on the whole counsel of God. We've covered several of God's attributes, that is, he is a God which is eternal, mutable, he is a God of justice and mercy, and now today we want to look at the aspect of his person, his being, a God of goodness. And the Lord willing then will bring in the following weeks the goodness of God in providence and the goodness of God in salvation or redemption. But today we want to concentrate primarily on the goodness of God in creation. Psalm chapter 145 and verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Shall we read it again? The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. So God is good in himself, he's good to each of his creatures and to all of the works which he has brought forth in his creation. Now what do we mean by goodness, and particularly the goodness of God? Before we proceed any further, let's understand where, where we're going and what we're going to be building upon this morning. What do we mean by the goodness of God? And we mean that quality within his very nature in which he is inherently good in himself, and he is the source of all communicated goodness in his creatures. Now, breaking that down, it simply means this, that God is the fountain of all good in the universe, and every good thing which exists in the universe has flown from that source or that fountainhead. You remember one day a young ruler who had a lot of funds, a very moral person, came to Jesus and he said, uh, Good master, what must I do to have everlasting life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. We haven't time to delve into why Jesus replied in that particular fashion other than to take the statement that God alone is good and all the goodness which takes place in the creation has flown from him. He is the fountainhead of all goodness. Now, the creation itself owes its existence to God's goodness. You stop and think about it. God existed long before the heavens and the earth ever existed, long before you and I ever existed, long before the animals and the plants ever existed. God existed. And God existed without having to have a creation. He didn't get lonely, as some teach today, and he said, Oh, I'm just so lonely, I'm going to make me a creation. No, God existed and was perfectly happy in and of himself. But it is to his goodness that we owe the creation itself. It is God's perfect nature and the fact that he willed there to be a creation that there is a creation. Now let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and let's take this opening chapter today. If the psalmist is true in that God is good and all of his works are good, 
then let's go back and let's see how that the material universe and the creation owes its existence to the goodness of God and then try to bring it down in some applications for our daily living and to humble us to show us how appreciative we should be to the fact that God is good. The material universe owes its existence to the goodness of God. We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. Now notice this term. And God saw that it was good. We'll be seeing that of repeating itself over in this first chapter of Genesis. That every time that God brings something forth, he will pronounce that it is good. And so the material universe owes its existence to the goodness of God. There had been no heaven, no earth, no dust, no materialism at all, had not God been good. That's one thing for a person to exist, but it's another thing for a person to be good in their existence. We know that there are certain members of the human race which have a being, but they have a very wicked being. But God not only existed, but he was inherently good. And from that goodness, he created a material universe. Had there been no goodness in God, there would have been no heaven and no earth. We read on and we find that the plant life that's present on this earth owes its existence to the goodness of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now let's emphasize something here before we proceed. When God pronounces something as being good, as he does on each of these days of creation here, it's not merely that it's just good that it exists, but it's good in that it is, serves a function in relation to the rest of the universe. So as the writer would say, to everything there is a purpose, and to every aspect of plant life, God put it here, for a purpose to function and to complete the rest of his creation. Yes, even the weeds that we pull out of the garden, yet they are as necessary in God's purpose as the fruit which we plant in the ground of the corn. And so even the plant life, each facet of it, and you look at all the many different aspects of flowers, if you happen to be a botanist, someone that really enjoys the aspect of plant life, and you see the many variations or varieties of plant life. And yet after God brought all of these forth, he could look upon it and say, it's good. Each one of them serves a function in my purpose, and each plant owes its existence to the goodness of God. But God didn't stop just with material dirt and elements. He didn't stop with plant life. Instead, we read on and we see that the rotation of the earth in the heavens owes its existence to the goodness of God. Verse 14, 
And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And then in verse 18, And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Had you ever wondered why that here in this earth that we have a change of seasons, you ever wondered what it'd be like to have the same season, all darkness uh, uh, forever, or all sunlight forever? But here on the earth we have a rotation of the seasons. And this again was not an accident. This was God's plan in that when he created it, he said, It shall be such as this, the earth shall rotate, around the lights that I put in the heavens, the sun and the moon, and in doing so it shall serve a function, it shall serve a purpose, and it is good. So the rotation of the seasons we owe to the goodness of God. And I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, uh, I appreciate that. I guess it's something within my fallen nature that I like a change ever so often. I like it when summer comes on, people always ask you, well, what's your favorite season? Uh, when summer's starting, it's summer. But then a few months later, while well, I'm looking forward to the cool of fall, and then a little snow, but then after that's come on a little while, I'm waiting for spring to come on the, on the season. Well, now, God planned it in this fashion. And so, lest that we become bored with our existence, then it is the goodness of God, the very rotation of the seasons that we owe it to. But God didn't stop there. We also find him in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20 creating animal life. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that have life and fowl that may fly above the earth and the open firmament of the heaven. God created great whales and every living creature which moveth. Now coming on down here in verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So God began with a material universe, the elements, and then he brought forth out of that plant life. He then set the earth in relation to the other planets, so we have the change of the seasons. And then he brought forth the animal kingdom. And we see the many variations within that. Now, why did God create the number that he did? Why didn't he create more? Why didn't he create less? Again, as we've already seen, it's in his infinite wisdom but that he created what he did. God could have created a thousand worlds, but instead he brought forth the one which he did. But it is to each animal that that animal owes its existence to the goodness of God. For had not God willed to bring it forth, why, there would be no bear, there would be no cow, there would be no swine, had not God seen fit to bring forth these very creatures. And each one of these creatures function in God's universe to supplement and enhance that universe. We see what is known if we study nature, the, the, the balance that is within nature, the check and balance system. And it is only as man has come on the scene and has warped this balance that we see that some of our creatures are in a danger of extinction even now. But had it not been for this, you would see that in the creation of God, each animal serves a function. 
each insect. Yes, now don't come to me after the service this morning and say, well, Pastor, if everything serves a function, then why did God make the flies? I don't know why he did, but there's a purpose behind it. If the flies were not there and the buzzards were not there, then we'd have all sorts of decaying things around about us in which that we'd have to put up with the disease and things with it. So God has reasons for all of his creatures. And even a fly owes its existence to the goodness of God. For had not God willed that fly to come into existence, he would not have been here. So what we're trying to build upon now is that God started here. The heaven and the earth owes its existence to the fact that God is good. The, he the rotation of the heaven and the earth owes its existence to God's purpose and his function for it. The plant life, the animal life. But now then we come to the highest of God's creation, and that is man itself. But before we look at man, we see that as the pages of Genesis unfold, that each thing that God creates is a page within his book of creation. Just as there are pages within this Bible, so there is a deer that holds a page in the book of God's creation. And that deer or that species of deer will serve a function in the purpose of God. Therefore, it owes its existence to the goodness of God. You, we read in the Bible of the book of redemption and those which are written in the Lamb's book of life. But we read in the book of Genesis that every time that God creates, then here is something which is recorded in the pages of his book of his creative acts. Now, looking at the final act of God in creation, and that is man himself. We read in verse 26 of the first chapter of Genesis, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now what's the significance of this? Here we have a creation, plant life, animal life, and now then we come to the crowning of that creation in which that God places man here on the scene. But man is different from that of the, from that of the plants. It is true that plants have a life. They are capable of growth. But it is also true that the animal creation is higher than that of plant life. It not only grows, it not only has life, but it has a consciousness of an existence in the animal life. But when he created man, he went higher than the plants, he went higher than the animals, but he created man with a capacity to not only to know that he exists in the material realm, but he created man with a capacity to know his creator and to love and commune with him. He created man as a rational being. He gave man a mind to think with. He gave him a heart to desire with. He gave him a will to act upon and make rational decisions to where man is elevated above the plants, above the animals. In fact, he is the crowning of God's creative acts. Let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 8, and let the psalmist there explain just where man fits in with God's creation. In the book of Psalms, chapter 8, and verse uh, 3, 
When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now notice the humility in this statement. The psalmist says, when I look out and I see the heavens and the earth, and I see the beauty that's in that, and I see the creation of your animal life and all of these things, I see then here, oh, how good you've been to man, in that you've given him an ability to rule over all of this, and that the heavens and the earth were created for him to have dominion over, so that man has become God's lieutenant general, or governor, if we might so speak, that every animal, every plant is given for man to rule over. We I, I read every once in a while down in Florida that uh, they go into some of those swamps and they start draining the swamps and make it inhabitable to build homes therein. But if you want to see how God did his work, you read the first chapter of Genesis and you find the waters covering the earth and how God began to drain that earth into systems whereby he pointed the bounds of those waters and called them seas. And then he placed the, the, the skies and the stars and the moon preparing all of these things for the benefit of man, so that man would have access to all the plants that would serve for his food. He would have access to the different animals of the, of the earth for his own use and for his own advancement. And so man is now the crowning act of God. Now, do you not see the goodness of God in this? If that does not humble you as it did the psalmist, then perhaps we should go just a bit further. The psalmist is humbled in that God has seen best in his goodness to elevate man above the animals, above the plants, above the material elements of the heavens and the earth. You say, well, I quite don't understand what you're getting at, Pastor. Simply this, God could have made you a fly. That's why he could have. You see that? And he'd have been good in doing it because he made flies. He could have made you a petunia or something like that. And it's good that he did. I mean, it's good that he made petunias and all the flowers. He could have made you a hundred or a thousand things, but instead he made you a human being. And if that does not serve to humble us to see that how far God in his goodness has elevated us, he's given us a mind to think with which the plants don't have, He's given us affection and desires and a will to reason with, which the other elements of his creation doesn't have. You see how God has been good to us even here today? The fact that he's brought us here in this assembly where we can sing with a logical mind, that we can reason, that we can feel, that we can love, that we can have all of these emotions, which the other elements in the creation don't have, is an act of God's pure goodness to us. Oh, the Lord is good to all. But you see, in his goodness to all, he didn't wrong that fly, because if he had not been good, there would have been no fly. 
He didn't wrong that rabbit when he made it a rabbit. For if God had not been good, there would have been no rabbit. But yet, oh, how much more good he's been to us in that he's created us in his own image, to whereby we can commune with him something that the animals are not capable of, something that the plants are not capable of. Oh, the goodness of God. Man is the crowning act of God's creation. He was made in God's image. So that now he is the sovereign, if we might speak, over the creation here on earth. All things in the creation were made for man. They serve as food when we're hungry. They serve as medicine when we're sick. You ever wonder where all of our medicine comes from, from certain elements which God has created? They serve as clothes when we're naked. They serve as a delight to us when we're sad. Do you ever find yourself sort of sad and lonely and depressed? And you turn to the wife or to the children and say, let's get in the car and let's go for a ride. And then by the, viewing the different things of God's creation, then we find there being delight that is put within us. All of these things in the creation are here for man and for him to have dominion over. But there was one thing in the creation in which that God revealed to man that he was to stay away from and to bow to. Now, get the picture here. Every animal, every plant, when man comes on the scene, they must now bow to the will of man. Man is the ruler here on the earth. He rules over the plants. He rules over the animals. Man is the sovereign over these. But God revealed himself to man in this way. In the midst of this paradise, he put a tree. And that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't you touch of it. Now that tree represented this. God's headship or authority over man. That is, God says to man, you now have all these things at your disposal. But I want you to remember one thing. I'm still sovereign or head over you. And lest the day that you forget that, you're going to suffer for it, for in that day ye shall surely die. So the sovereignty of God is represented by the tree there in the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't that God wasn't good in withholding this from man. Because every time that Adam and Eve would walk by that tree, they were reminded, it is God which has been good to me in giving me dominion over all of these things. But it was sin when it entered into the universe that said, no, I not only want to have dominion over all of the creation, but I want to be God myself. And that's where the whole essence of sin entered in upon the picture. Now, I want to make some applications to this great truth this morning of the goodness of God to where you and I then live today. If we've seen how good God is in making us what we are, as opposed to a plant or an animal or an insect or something of this nature, then oh, how this ought to reprove us and humble us, when we become so dull toward the things of God that we pay little heed to the goodness of God. 
Do you find times in your life in which the, the things of God and all of who he is and his word become dull and you become sort of insensitive to them? Do you find times in your life like when I, if my system is working right here, I can take my fingernails and pinch and there is immediately a nerve that says, hold it, don't do that, that hurts. Now that's because my system is working right. I'm sensitive. My nerves are working. But do you find yourself in relation to the things of God that they become insensitive? And that you look at his things and you become so engrossed with your lifestyle and disobedience to him that when the truths of God are presented and all of the things which take place in our daily life are transpiring, that you are insensitive to the goodness of God that's going on around about you? Do you realize, beloved, it is owing to the goodness of God that you and I are not consumed even now? Do you recognize how close that you are to destruction each day of our lives? Do we recognize, just as we get into our automobile and drive down the road, that we're only about two or three feet from instant death? Do you see that all of these things here, that we are here today even by the goodness of God, and yet we become insensitive to that through the dullness of our own sinful nature? Isaiah lamented this condition. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3, listen carefully to this. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider and answer not the design of them. What's Isaiah saying? He's saying the ox recognizes that it's dependent upon its master. It's saying that the ass or the donkey recognizes that it's dependent upon the master's crib for its food. And yet my people, Israel, the man made in the image of God, he doesn't consider these things. The animals recognize it, and they oh, they're dependent upon their masters to feed them. And yet here is man, he doesn't even consider this. He's become insensitive to the fact that he's utterly dependent upon the goodness of God each day of his life. I wonder, are we sensitive to that this morning? Every so often I call in a home, and they sit with tears in their eyes, and they say, Pastor Gables, I remember when I used to climb those steps to the First Baptist Church, and I remember when I used to sing the songs, and I remember when so-and-so played the piano, a song leader. And I remember when Brother so-and-so was the pastor here and he spoke. But, oh, I can't come anymore. I can't get up those steps. And I, every time I leave a home like that, why, I say, Oh, God, thank you for giving me the legs that you give me to enable me to come and on the first day of the week assemble myself in obedience to your commands. Thank you, God, for giving me the strength to be able to come and to fellowship with the saints of God, with the people of God. Yes, the Lord is good. He's given us the strength that we have even this day. And oh, how we neglect it. 
We look out across the community and across our land today and we see people enjoying the creation of God. We see God creating on the six days of all the heaven and earth and therein and then on the seventh day he rests. And he set that day aside for a day of devotion to him for man. And yet what does man do to it? What does he do to it? Instead of coming before God and saying, God, I thank you for giving me the strength for six days to work and to earn my living therein, man takes that and completely disregards the seventh day whereby he is to come and to offer his worship to God in appreciation for the health and the strength which God has given us. I wonder how many of you here today you own some rent houses. How many of you own some property that you have people renting? How long would you allow those tenants to remain in there if they never paid their rent? If they broke out the windows? If they let the place deteriorate? How long would you be patient with them and allow them to go? Do you recognize that we breathe God's air? That it is His heaven and earth which He has created? And all that He asks is to pay the rent for living here is for you to come and acknowledge my goodness. That as the animals come and the plants and all these things come and you use them for your benefit, all I ask of you, man, is that you come and acknowledge my goodness to thee. And yet God allows man to go on and on and on without ever so much as paying one dollar of rent for all of the great place which he has to live upon. If that does not humble us, if that does not break us to see that God could have created Jim Gables, some little old ant over here in the heart of Africa, and let him serve that function there, and it would have been good on God's part. But instead, God gave me the position that he has, and the further up that he exalts, then the more I should be humbled at the goodness of God in giving to me what he has not seen fit to advance others with. And oh, what a sin it is against God then when we have ingratitude in our hearts for what we are and where we are in life. What a terrible condemnation it comes when we find ourselves complaining about our lot in life. Do you see that I have a function to play in the human race? You have a function to play in that race? And whatever function that is, may God enable you to fulfill your calling. May he enable me to fulfill my calling. And if God doesn't exalt you the way he does this person, then remember, he's still been good to you in putting you where you are right now. For you would not even be here were it not for the goodness of God. So the next time that we begin to feel somewhat of self-pity and we look out across and we see our neighbors in certain providences in life and we see that perhaps they have more money, they have a little more influence, and we begin to say, well, that just isn't right. Remember, God was good to give you your existence as it is. And remember that we are to fulfill that existence as it is even now and to honor the goodness of God. Oh, I hope that there's not a soul under the sound of my voice this morning 
that will stand in the day of judgment and God will have to say, the oxen that I created acknowledged my goodness and the donkeys did, but hear you, the crowning of my creation, you did not stop and consider my goodness in exalting you to the position that I did. I made you a human being. I didn't have to do it, but I did it through my goodness. People of God, may we be humbled and appreciative of the life which God has given us, the children which God has blessed our home with, whatever they may be. May we be appreciative of each other, the community in which we live, because were it not for the goodness of God, even none of this, could we say, would be rightfully ours. Let's stand together.